Hey, everybody, welcome to Conspiracy the Show. I'm your host, Adam Todd Brown. Joining me, special guest co host this week. Sliceberg Slim. How's it going? Say hello to the people. What's up, people? What's up, Adam? How's it going? I'm good, man. How are you? Um, trying to adjust back to normal life. Today's the first day I went to a comic book store since before COVID. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm going to the movies tomorrow. I'm very excited about that. I've gone to the movies once, but the movie sucked. Can I ask what theater? AMC. They brought A-list back. Yeah. Thank you. I have stock in them, so I appreciate (laughs) you on AMC. AMC is going nowhere if I have anything to do with it. For people who are unaware, Sliceberg is my co-host on a podcast called Pod 6 that you can hear on the Unpops Patreon and Supercast. He's also a music producer, does a bunch of the themes you hear for the podcasts. And uh, you've been on this podcast before, right? Uh, yes. yes. I think. I believe so. I don't remember what we were talking about. Something, something probably very grim and unhappy. I think I was. It was me, you, and a teeth last time. Well, yeah. At, everything a tiff is on is depressing. So yeah. Right. Was, so yeah, there definitely was uh, definitely grim. something <laughs> something sad. That's not going to change this week. We right. are talking about one of the saddest moments in American history. Completely by coincidence, we are recording this on the 36-year anniversary of what we're talking about today, which is the MOVE bombing in Philadelphia. If you're not familiar with this story, buckle up. It is crazy. Sliceberg, you were not familiar with this story when I recruited you for this episode, right? It took me total surprise. No idea. And you watched the documentary. There's a few documentaries, but there's uh, one of the first ones was called Let the Fire Burn. And that's the one you watched last night, right? Yes. And you texted me and said, fuck you for making me watch this. Now, to be fair, (laughs) I was passing that fuck you along. My girlfriend told me to fuck me. Uh, No, no, no. Fuck Adam. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you were planning to watch Bordello of Blood. So I did fuck up your night for sure. Because that movie rules. Uh, I got to make up that tonight. So before we get into it for people, what was your impression of the events in this documentary? One, I'm surprised myself never hearing of this. It almost seems like a movie. Like it's it's unreal almost. It's like a plot of a movie almost. Yeah. You know what it sort of reminds me of? Not white as bad. I mean, maybe, but the Black Wall Street riot that happened in, was that Tulsa? Where a bunch of angry white people just went and burned down a whole section of Tulsa. That was called the Black Wall Street for a reason. Nothing is ever called the Wall Street of anything for bad reasons, even though Wall Street's awful. What an irony. But (laughs) yeah, this is kind of the same thing. It's just that this was even more sanctioned by the government. Everyone in charge just made the wrong decision. Like everyone just did everything possibly wrong. Everyone was even down from move themselves. I mean, I don't want to victim blame, but they made it hard. Yeah, that's going to be a hard line to toe yeah. throughout this because what happens to move is absolutely tragic. But it yeah. would also have been absolutely tragic to have them for neighbors because holy shit, cut your yeah. neighbors a little slack. Hey, question. Was there a reason that the children had to be completely nude? I didn't really understand Here's the thing. I hope not, actually. I hope there was no reason the children were nude other than, fuck clothes. They're kids. What do they care? Either the kids just made that choice. They said, you know what? Yeah. We don't need clothes anymore. Maybe. <laughs> we, got these, we got these dogs. Here's the thing, though. <laughs> we're not just going to talk about the Let the Fire Burn documentary. But uh, in that documentary, they interview one of the only survivors of the move bombing. There were two survivors, and one of them was a child. And you can tell in that interview, they're really trying to get this kid to say that he was being abused inside that house. And he never does. He, like, dismisses it it when it comes up. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess they just wanted to be naked. I don't know. Because it really didn't. Like, that never is even 
suggested, which I like because a lot of times with groups like this, you also hear, "Mm," and the leader had a 14-year-old wife. In this case, there's not even any of that. They're just terrible neighbors. You know what? It's almost like it, did, it didn't even factor into the story. Like no. the kids having no clothes. It, it, it really was inconsequential. It just, just so, happened to be naked with dogs. So here, here's, the, here's the real question. Did it need to be in that documentary? For, if it's not going anywhere, we could have cut that whole visual. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. they just, they just kind of shoehorned that in. You're right. That it was weird. Did. The reason we're talking yeah. about move even though it is the the anniversary by the time this goes up the anniversary will have passed last week but when i was researching those jonestown episodes move came up very briefly and the author of that jonestown book called them a creepy cult and i never really thought of them as a cult i just thought of them as a group who got bombed by the philadelphia police and i still don't know if cult is accurate. You know what? I thought creepy cult too. Only I just assumed when it came on with the kids, you know, no clothes and the dogs, like, oh well, clearly this is a creepy cult. But then it makes a sharp turn to not cult like. I feel the images of the kids were there to kind of maybe persuade you to think it was something that it wasn't. Yeah. Maybe. I always feel like for a group to be a cult, there has to be some degree of confinement like you can't leave otherwise you're just in a group like the boy scouts push a lot of shit that i don't care about and i would find weird if someone asked me to want to learn it but you can leave the boy scouts if you're in it so it's not a cult and this like they're weird they're a strange bunch but they don't seem like they were abusive to each other which i feel like also Uh, you need you kind of need that for a cult you do uh two things when i was briefly in a boy scout at my church, I could not leave. Uh, <laughs> two, this is this feels like a cult exploitation. Is that a thing? A little bit, yeah. Oh yeah, now it is. Cult exploitation is a definite thing now because we've yeah. run out of serial killers to celebrate in this country. So now we got to celebrate the works of awful cults. That's why there's all those makes, Netflix series about them. That makes sense. Celebrating the CIA's handiwork. So there's also a documentary on HBO Max called Forty Years a Prisoner, which also touches on the move bombing, but focuses more on a group called the Move Nine, who we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, actually, should have read ahead in my notes. Let's talk about them right now. They're a group of Move members <laughs> who were imprisoned over a 1978 police shootout. And they stayed in prison way longer than anyone charged with the crime they were charged with should. But we'll talk about the shootout later. So let's talk about Move. First, let's talk about their beliefs. Because this is a group that still exists. You can go to their website. It's onamove.com if you want to check it out for yourself. And these are their teachings, I guess, from their own website. And honestly, most of it doesn't really sound that crazy. And I should mention, I very much differentiate crazy from shit I wouldn't want to do. Like, I know there's a lot of people that love nature and being outside, and they're not crazy. I just disagree. I just don't want to be out there with them. So, all right. <laughs> so, uh, all right, let's go through the first one. Our religion, life. This is a quote. Each individual life is dependent on every other life, and all life has a purpose. So all living beings, things that move, are equally important. Whether they are human beings, dogs, birds, fish, trees, ants, weeds, rivers, wind, or rain. Sounds good. Hmm. Also becomes a huge problem when it comes to their confrontation with the neighbors. (laughs) Yeah, it does. At one point. (laughs) Uh, Natural law. We believe in natural law, the government of self. Man-made laws are not really laws because they don't apply equally to everyone and they contain exceptions and loopholes. I fucking love this last line so much. (coughs) Natural law says that when you see something getting too close to your eye, you will blink. Whether you are a German shepherd or a Supreme Court justice. Fuck yeah. You know what? If that was their only tenant, it would have been perfect. Yeah. You just left it at that. that, Oh, it would have been so good. You can get behind it. I feel like there's room for this next one too, though. Self-defense. All living things instinctively defend themselves. This is a God-given right of all life. If a man goes into a bear's cave, he violates and threatens the bear's place of security. The bear will defend his home by instinctively fighting off the man and eliminating him. The bear is not wrong because self-defense is right. Now, is that a great teaching? 
it's followed by a great example. That It's an amazing example. <laughs> it's better than what my example would have been, which is forever and always stay out of the ocean. That does not belong to us. That's a close second. I guess if you're on a <laughs> boat, you can be in the ocean, I guess. But other than that, no way. I love when people are like, you got as much chance of getting struck by lightning as you do by getting bit by a shark. It's like, yeah, because I'm on land. That's yeah. that's why I'm not in. I have zero chance of getting bit by a shark, actually. I have way Touché. more chance of getting struck by lightning. <laughs> right and wrong. The fact that something is legal under the system's laws doesn't make it right. Slavery was legal. Killing Native Americans and stealing their land was all done legally. John Africa taught us that what is right applies equally across the board. If something is right, it's right for all of life with no separations. I should mention John Africa is the founder of this group. We'll, we'll get to their background in a second. And uh, yeah, there's a lot more on the website about their kind of beliefs and their work and who they are and what they do. And yeah, go check it out if you want more information. But that's kind of the broad overview of what this group believes. And again, doesn't sound bad on paper, but when it's being put into action in your closely confined neighborhood, becomes a whole different thing. Yeah, it did. If any group should have been the one to just go out in the middle of nowhere and build a huge fucking compound, this was the one. They didn't have guns. I mean, they had a few guns, but... who doesn't have a few guns in Philadelphia? Like, they, but they didn't have, they weren't like stockpiling weapons. They weren't abusing anybody. They just were bad neighbors. Yeah, you're right. They they should have annexed some piece of land somewhere. Like they, they weren't meant to live amongst others who weren't move members. Like move only works with move. Yeah, it's a weird choice to reject technology in modern society the way they did. And then set up shop in the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air's hometown. <laughs> So that part, when when they show them teaching the children, uh, like, what do you, I guess they point towards the camera and say, what is this? They say technology and it will harm you. Yeah. Like it was also they kind of toe a line there because there's no like r- electricity or heat or anything in the house. But they do drive cars, which. So which one is it? Yeah. <laughs> And here's the thing. If there's one thing I know about Philadelphia, people are tooling around on horses in Philadelphia all the fucking time. Like there's documentary. Yeah, there's documentaries about it. What, you mean like not just cops, like just average citizens? Sliceberg, not just average citizens, black citizens. It's called Fletcher Street Urban Riding Club. Google it. Look at the images. It looks like it kind of looks like the walking dead because everyone looks super modern, but also they're on horses in the middle of the city. Pretty fucking great. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> so yeah, they could have they could have got horses. They didn't have to have wow. cars, but whatever. We're not here to criticize them. We're here to criticize the police. This is correct. So let's talk about a little bit of the background of this group. We'll link to everything we're talking about. There's a, a couple really good resources for if you just want a quick rundown about the the history of Move. One is at philadelphiaencyclopedia.org slash archive slash move. And the other is a Penn State project with a URL that is way too long to bother reading. You won't remember it or write it down. We'll link to them both. So let's go through a little bit of it. This group emerged in the early 70s as the American Christian Movement for Life or the Christian Life Movement. It was founded by a guy named Vincent Leapart, a.k.a. John Africa. He was born into a huge family during the Depression, served in the Korean War, and when he came home from the Korean War, took a shot at an interior design career in New York City, which was not a twist I saw coming in this dude's background at all. That was it was different, especially at that time, because the Korean War, I mean, it never ended technically, but I mean, that was done by the 50s. Who even knew interior design was a career? Was he the first? Like, was he the right, first like, interior designer? How was that a thing back then to even get a position, let alone for like a black person? It's like, yeah, pretty advanced. <laughs> but it didn't That's work out right there. He uh, he ends up not becoming an interior designer and instead returns to Philadelphia. And in the 60s, he develops this philosophy of life that centered around the belief that the system, which he defined as man-made constructions of law, government and industry was the source of all problems. And here's the thing. Yep, I, I, I think I agree with that. Yeah, he had he was uh, on to something. He wrote the foundational text of the group, 
which at various points has been called the book of guidelines, the book, the guidelines, and the teaching of John Africa. This part's interesting. At the time he wrote them, he was functionally illiterate. So he dictated the words to a University of Pennsylvania social worker named Donald Glassy. This is a 300-page text. I'm not lying. I would rather type it than be the one who has to say it all. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot. (laughs) As people who record podcasts, like you get through an hour of one of these, and it's like, oh, thank God that's over. His other alternative was to quickly learn how to read. (laughs) (laughs) You had no choice. (laughs) Yeah, I guess this was quicker. Yeah, Yeah, when I do solo podcasts, once I hit like the 30-minute mark, I'm like, kill me. Someone kill me. Can the CIA (laughs) not intervene right now? End my misery, please? They're just going to let this come out, huh? All right. (laughs) Here's where we get into the part where It's not bad. It's just not for me. It talked about the importance of scavenging, composting, eating raw foods, and exercise. I can get behind exercise. We should all do that. Eating raw foods. If science got on television tomorrow and was like, the world is going to end in 25 years if we don't all start eating raw foods right now, I'd be like, let's make these 25 years count because I'm not eating raw food yeah the group adopted the name move in 1972 it's an acronym that means move in other words it's not an acronym they just capitalize the word to make it look cool like every indie band today right i was sure it uh, meant something but no i did too hey back to the raw real quick (laughs) did you you hear uh they asked a young i think was was his name birdie africa the young kid yeah he mentioned that they they gave the kids raw chicken. Get the fuck out of here with that. <laughs> yeah, that that right there. Of all things raw, it's the least raw thing to eat. <laughs> yeah, if if the if the police were were pitching shutting this group down, that's that alone. The, that's the one point where I'd be like, all right, you at least gotta get those kids out of there. I also like the part where <laughs> Birdie Africa said that the adults didn't eat raw food because they weren't used to it. <laughs> yeah, what, what what was that? A, what, what? I don't know. That seemed that seemed a little shady. It's like here's your carrot. I am gonna throw down on some pizza rolls. Thank you very much. Because I'm not used to it, but you will be. (laughs) You'll get you'll get used to it. Maybe. We're just throwing stuff at the wall, seeing what sticks. I'm already an adult. But you're a kid. You got time to grow into this raw chicken taste. (laughs) It's too late for me. My arteries are trash. (laughs) But you're the feature of rawness. (laughs) You are the raw future. So this group, they own properties in Rochester, New York, but lived communally, primarily in West Philadelphia, born and raised on the playground is where I spent most of my days. Honestly, the opening lines of the theme from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air do work if you apply them to move. You just have to think of the couple of guys who are up to no good who start causing trouble in the neighborhood as the police. When I read in your notes, I thought about it and it. (laughs) It almost blew my mind. Like, yes. I mean, the rest of it. It almost synced up perfectly. (laughs) It does. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I don't blame them for not living in upstate New York. That place is fucking crazy. You think Philadelphia is racist. Upstate New York, they would have just bombed the whole town of Rochester to get rid of this group. Surprised they haven't. Now let's talk about some of Move's movements. Mm. (laughs) In 1974... The group occupied a a three-and-a-half-story Victorian house and eventually an adjoining house in the Powelton Village neighborhood in West Philadelphia. It was their operational headquarters and living space. Startups call it an incubator. Mm -hmm. They operated a car wash and did odd jobs for elderly people around the neighborhood to earn money. House heated by a wood-burning stove. Children homeschooled, which I don't normally criticize someone for choosing to homeschool their kid. But the reason move homeschooled their kids is because they specifically wanted them not to learn to read and write because they viewed that as a false education. So in that case, but you have to replace that with something. Yeah. You can't just, if you want to take it away, then what are you putting in the education? Like that's, that's not fair. And when I heard that, I was like, did the government start this? Like, who would, yeah, who would want that for people? Why would they? Because they themselves, are, I would assume some of the move members themselves are literate and can read and write. So why would you reset your children to not? And they I don't also, know, that's kind of weird. And 
most of the write-ups about this group, it says John Africa was functionally illiterate at the time he wrote that text. Does that mean he did learn to read and write at some point? Right. Why would you say at the time? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes against this whole belief system, wouldn't it? It's shocking to me that we are finding so many conflicts within the teachings of a devoutly religious group. Who would have thought? Yeah. Normally, religious groups absolutely stick to everything they say. Crazy. But still, don't drop a bomb on them. God damn it. Yeah. We're getting there. So let's talk about the neighbors. What ends up, I just, I I will say this a few times throughout this podcast. What ends up happening to move is a tragedy and uh, one of the darkest periods in American history. That said, boy, were they terrible neighbors. My God. Powelton, the the first neighborhood they set up in, it was a relatively progressive neighborhood. So Move seemed like a good fit at first. But the thing is, Move didn't just oppose the system. They opposed societal structure in general. Case in point, garbage collection. That is structure. Move did not have their garbage collected. They just tossed it in the backyard as like a crude form of composting. That couldn't have been the end game. That's not a good end game. No, like, and so obviously it smelled. And as someone who at one point when I had a studio in Burbank failed to take the trash out in a timely manner over the course of a couple days, I know what happens when you just let trash sit around. It attracts roaches. And I learned that lesson really hard as soon as I had the studio. And then from there, I just took the trash out every night. So they were taking the trash out every night out to the backyard and letting it pile up. And so it attracted roaches and attracted rats. But remember, we we read that belief at the beginning of the episode. All living things are equal. So that meant those rats and roaches deserve to be there. And they would not do anything to remove the rats and roaches or the garbage pile. See, that's that's weird because you say they deserve to be there. But in that case, they're only there because of the trash you left for them. So it's like, are you going to to feed them? Sliceberg, that's constructs of your world, man. You're right. I'm I'm thinking of the box. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Two in the box, man. So (laughs) this part's crazy, too. They also took in a large number of stray animals, and these animals eventually, they accumulate enough that they form a pack, and they just let it wander freely around the city. Again, is that, are you developing dog soldiers? Like, what are, we, what are you doing with these pack? Of, like, you can't just make these groups and just set them free. Like, what are you, what are you doing with these dogs? Yeah, they- Are they part of, are they move dogs? <laughs> they all had dreadlocks. <laughs> yeah, I mean- yeah, you should have did that. Like, <laughs> if you want to spread your message, like, don't just be creative. Yeah, dread those dogs up. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, instead of trying to, like, slowly spread their message and hope people catch on and do it from sort of a remote place, it's like they just set up in the middle of the city and we're like, all right, everyone is going to have to take to how we live or you're fucked. And it seems like a bad approach. You, you want to build... Like, here's the thing. When you're in a black neighborhood and you have built up less goodwill than the police, that's a problem because people immediately immediately start going to the police. In this neighborhood in general, they mentioned in one of the articles that we read for this, that in this neighborhood specifically, they viewed the mayor, Frank Rizzo, as just a straight up racist. How that dude, I couldn't believe the shit he was saying. Oh, yeah. And in in the 80s, like, I didn't realize, man, the 80s were fucked up. That's crazy. 70s and 80s were crazy. Like, 1970s New York. Oof. That was some escape from New York shit. Like, but it was New York still open. (laughs) So, yeah, because of all of this, Powelton residents who, again, generally oppose the city government, start complaining to the city government about move. And that prompts a group of health inspectors to show up at the move house on May 20th, 1977. They were met on the porch by move members brandishing rifles. This is an important point because if you watch the Let the Fire Burn documentary, you'll get a glimpse at the kind of weapons this group was toting around. And they look like the weapons of a group that has a wood-burning stove in their home. Like they would accuse this group of having like automatic weapons and then like the the rifles they were holding here looked like civil war muskets they were just trying to like show off they weren't right it was 
wasn't yeah, really just, a threat. Yeah. But this somehow turned into a 10-month standoff where MOVE members barricaded themselves inside and police maintained a constant presence outside for 10 months. Like, will you just throw the, will you just throw the trash away? Like, you know, that's, that's what everyone living in that neighborhood was like, fucking just throw the trash away. It's all we want. And maybe, maybe train that pack of wild dogs Yeah, that you, you let yeah. run rampant through the neighborhood. If you're not going to throw the trash away, then train the dogs to take the trash to a dumpster or landfill. Yeah. Yeah. This is like, I, I, I wouldn't ever accuse this group of being affiliated with the government because of how things end. But yeah. I will say that this would be a brilliant thing for a government hoping to break up mildly affluent to affluent black neighborhoods. I thought about that. Like if it wasn't for the way to end it, like say this, this could have been something. But yeah. No, the way it ended, it wasn't the government, but no, definitely been. not. But I wouldn't right. be surprised if the government was like, eh, oh, it took sh- notes. Should we try this? Should we just send a crazy cult into every well-off black neighborhood so everyone moves? So in March 1978, Mayor Frank Rizzo obtained an order to blockade the move house, cut off water, and prevented anyone from getting supplies to the house. Here's a quote from Frank Rizzo. A small vocal minority among us seeks to destroy the heritage of 1776. I wonder what he means by that. That has to be one of the most coded, loaded, dog whistling, super racist forefather bullshit I've ever heard. Like it's that's that means something. There, there's that's a, like a call to arms or something. Yeah, there's there's a clip of this moment in the Let the Fire Burn documentary. And even though I watched it last night and I know there's not, I still when I replay this scene from the documentary in my head. I see a Confederate flag in the background, but I, there wasn't one in the documentary. It's just, oh, there should have been. I know. That's just how good his words were. It, it placed it there for you. Yeah. Mesmerizing. <laughs> those words in order makes a flag, Confederate flag appear before your eyes when you see those words. <laughs> it probably does. <laughs> and so they, they do this this blockade. He, he goes in and basically blocks off access to the move house, but it also blocks off access to the entire block that the move house is on. So now these residents who just wanted move to clean up their trash and not let the dogs out. Now they have to get police escorts just to and from their house. So it just made it worse for them. And eventually an agreement was worked out where move would surrender their weapons, allow an inspection of the house and leave by August 1st. In exchange, the city agreed not to arrest members who didn't have warrants and to expedite trials of jailed members. Move violated the agreement by staying at the Powelton home after August 1st. Okay, so I have a question. Yes. I, I kind of wish they didn't mess that agreement up, because I, I, I really yeah. want to know what if the cops would have kept their word, you know what I mean? Or if... Yeah, that's the thing. Like, by being the the side that violated the agreement, like... You kind of forced... I hate to say they forced their hand, but, like, now, you know, like, now you escalated it. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, who knows if yeah. the police were actually going to follow through? Maybe they were going to going to going to do them like Ray Allen at the end of He Got Game and uh, not let dad out of prison. Ah, that's a deep Spike Lee cut. Everybody listening. Yeah, it is. But yeah, because they violated the agreement, it kind of just gave the police a mandate to do something a little more extreme. And oh boy, on the morning. Now, do you think there's a reason? I was like, could y'all be there's a reason that they wouldn't let them in? Like, were they maybe they didn't want them in there for a reason? I mean, they were health inspectors. It sounds like they definitely didn't want health inspectors in their house. Not in that backyard, right. at least. Right. Because that was probably going to get the house condemned, at which point they would have had to leave. So this was a pretty fair agreement. Like it's a decent settlement to it, especially a 10 month standoff and you're not getting arrested if you didn't have warrants before. Yeah. I kind of, yeah. Like I want, why did they not take the deal? Yeah. It's, it's just, it's one of those moments where you're like, Oh, this didn't have to go this way, but still it doesn't justify what the police end up doing. Right, so that's all. the worst part. You have to say that. I mean, yes, yeah. they should have took the deal, but no, it shouldn't have ended this way. And so yeah. on the morning of August 8th, police with bullhorns surrounded the move home 
and demanded that the occupants come out. When they didn't, the police bulldozed a wooden barricade that had been constructed in front of the house. A cherry picker removed the wood slats mounted on the windows, and then they used high-pressure hoses to blast thousands of gallons of water into the house. Water is the official weapon of racists everywhere. Yeah, yeah, it very much is. Especially these Philadelphia police. They love firing a firefighter hose at a house. That's like a misuse of firefighter equipment. It shouldn't be used... You shouldn't be able to use it on people. Yeah, what if Just there was wrong. a fire nearby? And you're, Are you wasting all that fucking water in the house? Yeah. That's not on fire yet? You're you're hoarding all the water to settle an episode of Fear Thy Neighbor on Investigation Discovery? Fucking calm yes. down. That's crazy. So a shootout ensues, and police officer James Ramp was killed. Two other officers and three firefighters <laughs> were wounded. And the police finally clear the house using tear gas making sure to violently beat move member Delbert Africa in the process. And this is a beating. That was some bullshit. Like, like what the fuck was that about? Like, that was straight, like, they hate move. Like, they couldn't wait to get their hands on a move member and just beat the shit out of them. And they, they play a clip where one of the cops is like, yeah, we hit him on the head with a metal helmet once. But a a Philadelphia Inquirer was filming, and they, like, they were coming up, taking turns, stomping on this dude and beating this dude. But you, know, but that's the worst part about it. He said we hit him on the head with a metal helmet once. Like that's like saying you shot somebody, but then not tell him after that, oh, we cut him into pieces. Like you're burning the right. lead. You, yeah, that's not all you did. <laughs> I like the way the documentary presents it too, because when he's saying that, they show this clip where you can just sort of see the helmet flying through the air. But it's obscured. It. It's obscured by this truck. So you're like, right. huh? I wonder if they did really beat him. And then, like ten seconds later, it's just them standing over him, stomping the guy. And it's like, oh yeah, yeah the they front. beat the shit out of this dude. That's crazy. But if you can believe this, three of the cops were arrested and tried for this, and they were acquitted on all charges, even though there was videotaped evidence. In what world does that happen? I mean, it happens all so the time. Even in this. Even back then, with uh, our minor technology, somehow we got a hold of straight video, and they're like, mm, I can't make out what happened. I'm sorry. Not guilty. Yeah, the, like, I could see that having been, like, the first Rodney King incident, if not Definitely. for everything else that happened. Right. Because when you take everything the police did to this group into account, beating up one guy is... <laughs> kind of minor so it like it's yeah. like it just got overshadowed but it really is the probably the first example of a police beating being caught on film like that definitely meanwhile the cops get acquitted on all charges but 11 move members were tried on charges of murder aggravated assault and conspiracy and i should clarify third degree murder which is the the it's baby murder not murdering babies but it's the baby of murder right and Move argued that they didn't kill Ramp and that he was actually killed by friendly fire from his own police and that the evidence of this was covered up when the city immediately bulldozed the house. And I mean, it is weird that they bulldozed that house that quick. They bulldozed it by the night of this shootout. I believe that because Move didn't have the technology, like technology one or the, the the firepower for this kind of shootout. So it's like, I've been just kind of sitting, they're just sitting there while they're getting fired upon. I don't think they return probably no more than maybe four or five shots at best. Yeah. I mean, they, it, it, it's the way they bulldoze that house. You have to take into account. They, they were obviously considering that a crime scene. They're saying a murder happened from inside that house and you bulldoze the crime scene. Nope. Yeah. That's uh yeah, that is, that is not, a thing. Very and sussy. So in May 1980, nine of the defendants were found guilty and sentenced to prison terms ranging from 30 years to 100 years for third degree murder. And the obvious question posed by a move member in the Let the Fire Burn documentary how do nine people kill one person in a shootout? It's a very good question there. Like, that's why firing squads work the way they do. Like, Everyone yeah. shoots, so no one really knows who killed the person, so you don't have to live with that guilt all your life. But they're they're sure that nine people fired the one bullet that killed this guy. Very suspicious. This is a magic bullet, but the one that killed Kennedy. 
We do accept mm. that answer as a government. That's for sure. Yes. So this group came to be known as the Move Nine. And in the years following, Move's protests focused on getting the Move Nine out of prison. We haven't mentioned their protest yet. That's also a thing because it plays pretty heavily into what happens next. Basically, they employed this technique called strategized profanity, which involved showing up in public like they would go to zoos because they were big animal rights people. They would show up at courthouses and they would show up with bullhorns. And not only would they shout their demands and protests and rants, they would just lace in profanity at every point possible. And it's kind of funny to watch because that is a, I mean, it's a peaceful protest. Is it though? I mean, it's a, it's an assault on <laughs> our delicate sensibilities. <laughs> they were actually, some of them were funny. Like there was one where a guy just would not stop saying motherfuckers. Yes. That, yeah. That, <laughs> that dude was great. You know, so I'm, I'm going to assume that someone's in that, like I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but, to the actual place, the, the actual compound before it got got blown up, it had the loudspeaker outside of it. Yeah. So I'm assuming twenty four seven, there's a guy up there just holding a mic, just letting it rip. Well, the, everything, every crazy shit he can think of, just just go. That's kind of the problem because after this 1978 shooting, they end up relocating in uh, 1982 to a home on Osage Avenue in West Philadelphia owned by John Africa's sister, Louise James. And they continued to demand that the Move 9 be released and no one was paying any attention or responding at all. So in late 1983, they put a loudspeaker outside their house and just broadcast their demands on a loop 24 hours a day. So you're living in this neighborhood, which again, this is like a middle class. These are middle class black homeowners, basically. You know and, what sucks? I can't speak for all black people, but I will speak for all black people and say we would rather not call the cops on the black people. Of but course. But they really have their hands pretty much tied with this situation. Yeah. They, should, they, should, they didn't make any friends with the neighborhood. They didn't try to recruit. They were just whoever they, they were like isolated and just didn't try to build relationships in the community that that didn't help them yeah they didn't try to earn any goodwill at all with their neighbors no. which i mean it's it's a black neighborhood you could probably recruit some of them to your cause if if you used them yeah but instead they set up this fucking loudspeaker and now those neighbors they are not about that shit at all so they start complaining a lot and there's a new mayor by this point Mayor W. Wilson Good, Philadelphia's first black mayor. And uh, he wanted no part of another violent confrontation with Move. So he didn't really do anything to address the neighbor's complaints. He was just like, oh, can that just work itself out, please? I hate this guy. Yeah. For many reasons, but I'll save it. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a real piece of shit. I will mention we've been talking about the Let the Fire Burn documentary it's kind of hard to find right now, but if you have a library card, you can watch it for free on a site called Canopy.com without ads. I was sure there was going to be ads every 15 minutes, but nope. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Nope. It's, yeah, it was, that's yeah, kind of cool. I've no never, heard of, never heard of that site. And they got, they got a bunch of shit that you can't find anywhere else. Just get a library card. You should have one anyway. What if you're homeless someday? All right. So. I you uh, back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can also tell how put off by this the neighbors were because not only do they call the police, they also testify at a hearing later where it's like, yeah, uh, what happened to them was bad. My house got burned down, but you don't understand the garbage, man. The fucking garbage, the, the, the around the clock messages. Like, it drove people crazy. That is a lot. Yeah. And that's what I think is most worth watching in the let the fire burn documentary. I mean, it's a, it's a good documentary in general, but you get to see these neighbors testify and talk about their experience living in this situation. And it really does at least make it clear that the neighbors in this, even though they're the ones who called the police or uh, notified officials, they're not really the enemy here. I feel like there is no blame to go around for the neighbors. Yeah, I agree. I mean, someone was going to call the police. True. 
Hi, we're two non-doctors. I'm Liz Mealy. I'm Maria Shahada. We have a podcast. I don't know how we got it. Well, we're comedians. We stopped getting actual stage time, so we turned to the internet. We Um, have a lot of questions about health. We talk about what we want to know more about, and then we ask our fans to tell us if we're right. And we're very rarely right. We're never right. We've been learning a lot through Google. Our first episode is about Maria having misophonia, to me discussing dyslexia, stuff that people feel like they know a little bit about and want to know more about, to us discovering stuff neither of us knew much about like ASMR. My mom's on the show. My mom is a veterinarian. I'm pretty sure she's going to replace us at some point. We are on the Unpops Network. They saw our potential and was like, we think someday you guys will actually have value. (laughs) Which is an unpopular opinion. (laughs) Two non-doctors. Don't Don't listen listen to us. (laughs) Seriously, guys, we don't know what we're talking about. So they start complaining and nothing's getting done because this new mayor doesn't want that confrontation. So they take their grievances directly to the governor, a guy named Richard Thornburg, and they sent him this statement. We are here to let the governor know about the disquietude and general state of terror we are forced to live under by the MOVE organization. We want the governor to know that regardless of whatever may have happened in the past, today MOVE is a clear and present danger to the health and safety of our entire block. We also want the governor to know that we have been to our elective representatives in the city and state government, but to date, nothing of any consequence has been done. We are now asking Governor Thornburg to step in and deal with this situation. Whoops. You know what the worst part of that letter is? That that? letter is literally carte blanche. When they they saw that letter, they was like, okay, let's fuck some shit up. Very much so, because that's really all they needed because the mayor didn't want to be the one to say, yeah, this is a huge problem. We got to deal with it. But once the people are saying it, yeah, that's it. It's a whole other thing. And a little sidebar here. I knew I recognized the name Dick Thornburg from somewhere. He is the governor that was caught in this corruption scandal where he was using state funds to pay for his wife's travel. And that ends up being exposed by a guy named Bud Dwyer who was kind of forced to expose it because it was his job and someone brought it to him. And he was like, well, I'm the accountant here. I got to say something. And Thornburg basically framed Bud Dwyer in retaliation for that. And things spun so far out of control for Bud Dwyer. People who know the name know what's coming next. He shot himself in the head during a live televised press conference. And uh, that was in large part due to the actions of Governor Richard Thornburg. So fuck this guy in his face. Yeah, he's the worst. Anyway, Thornburg finally forces Mayor Good to act. And the plan is to, one, remove the children from the home on the grounds that they were being illegally held from school. And two, execute arrest warrants on four MOVE members. And so around 6 a.m., Police Commissioner Gregory Sambor shouts from a bullhorn that the residents of the home have 15 minutes to vacate. And he doesn't just shout that. He says... Move. This is America. You have to come out. It's like, fuck you. Yes. This is a What does that mean? Ugh. Yeah. And so that didn't happen. And a shootout ensues in which, according to the Philadelphia Special Investigation Commission, police fired over, this is a quote, over 10,000 rounds of ammunition in under 90 minutes at a row house containing children, end quote. And yep, they shot that fucking place up knowing there were kids. They were there to get the kids, which that which that is the same thing as Waco, where they were like, yeah. all right, we got to come in and get these kids. Better throw some flash grenades in the room and of course they break out the fire hoses again is it just me was that gunfight did it seem one-sided this one like like yeah like literally just they were just shooting at them while they were just getting shot at i kind of feel like that happened in both cases i i honestly wonder if move was doing any shooting at all and how'd you feel about the footage of the that's why i say it's like a movie because the reporting here these fucking reporters give these guys fucking Emmys, Purple Hearts, whatever the fuck you get reporters risking their life for this shit? Yeah. These guys are ducking low on live television doing a fucking shootout? There's one where just a ton of shots start going off and the guy turns around and goes, sounds like they're shooting. And the police are like, move! What are you <laughs> doing? And he's like, alright, alright. And then he starts trying to talk to the camera again. <laughs> it's like, you are going to get shot. These reporters went so hard in the paint 
And who got the footage of a cop car driving up, popping his trunk, delivering more ammo to his buddies? Yeah. What the fuck is that? That's well, crazy shit. Because what happened is they they vacated that entire block before they did this. So there were police and reporters in people's houses, like filming and shit. And yeah, the footage of this moment and the 1978 shootout, both the footage in this documentary is insane. Like they, they found a lot and it is fascinating yeah. to watch. Like you imagine that happening now today on loud TV, like that would people lose their shit. Oh, the protest, the pro <laughs> like, that's the thing. News like this, when you're dealing with mainstream media, especially when you when you're getting into like New York Times and shit like that, if they don't if they decide not to cover something, it's not going to become big news like the the McDonald's Me Too strikes, the Mc Two strikes. Uh, none of the big outlets covered that. So most people don't know that McDonald's was the target of the first organized Me Too action against a corporation in America. No one covered yeah. it because McDonald's spread so much fucking ad money around. Who's going to yeah. spit in their face? So sure. like stuff has to get up to the right channels before it spreads around. And I imagine like, unless you were watching news at the right time, this probably just didn't, I didn't hear about, I was alive in 1985. I was nine. I was four, but I just feel like this, this should have been, I feel like this should, we should have like a, every year. remember this or something like, so it never happens again. Or something. It's, yeah, we should have been taught this in school for sure. Yeah. In our class about the government overstepping their bounds. <laughs> that's definitely what this is. So so the shootout ensues. They fire water cannons, of course. None of this is working. So this drags on until late in the afternoon. And ironically named Mayor Good at this point <laughs> authorizes the release of a two-pound satchel bomb composed of Tovex and C4 explosives from a police helicopter onto the fortified bunker on the roof, which we should point out was made of wood. And we didn't mention that. That's another thing the, the, the residents didn't like. Move at one point puts a bunker with gun turrets in it up on the roof. Uh, so not to make light of this at all, but this is probably my only opportunity to, for this, but later when they're in court and they have to, they have a model of the, the building, the compound. Yeah. And they're demonstrating the court, how the cops and what they did. Didn't that compound model like the, the dopest place set you've ever seen? It looked amazing. Even that and bunker, had, I was like, I'd put that bunker on my roof. Can you imagine if they had the speaker system built in a microphone to talk to it? To your other action figures? Oh, yeah. Like Snake Mountain? Oh, that'd been so dope. I'd have Christmas lights in there, stack of 1980s porn on paper. Oh. Man, live it. Like, what if that's just what it was? They're like, these holes, it's for weed smoke. Calm down. That makes sense. We're not trying to hotbox our homeschooled children. <laughs> They're not allowed right, weed. We are, because we're used to it. They're not. Yeah. They eat raw chicken. But yeah, they drop a bomb on this huge wooden structure. On top of on the camera. building. On camera. On camera. Like, they're proud of it. Like, well, watch what we can do. That. That's, wow. <laughs> and what's really crazy is when this bomb goes off, heated metal fragments from that bomb penetrate a gas can on the roof. And that ignites gasoline vapors and sets off a fire within seconds of that bomb going off. But it gets worse. Instead of fighting that fire, both the police and fire commissioner decided it would be better to let the fire burn as a tactical weapon meant to get the residents to evacuate. So at that point, they said they literally said, fuck them kids. That's what they said. Yeah. And it is, again, a lot of parallels to Waco, except in the case of Waco, at least the government pretends they didn't set the fire. Like this was blatantly the yeah. government being like, fuck it bomb them they, they want a credit for this one and the thing is even though they say well we let the fire burn so people would evacuate there are a lot of suggestions that the police set the fire let it burn and then when the move members tried to flee they shot at them so they would go back inside i'm convinced that happened for what birdie africa the 13 year old kid they interview throughout this whole thing they ask him like, they don't say, were they shooting at you when you ran out? Because he mentions that they ran outside and then ran back in. They just say, well, why did they run back in? And he goes, they were getting shot at. That is some insidious shit right there. See, this is the part, the part of the documentary that 
if this was a movie, like based on this whole event, and they added that part about shooting them, that would be the part of the, of the story that Hollywood made up just to make it more fucked up. They yeah. found that's the truth. Like people actually do like, yeah, that's that's some monster shit right there. Yeah, it's it it is. You're right. Unreal. It's the part where you'd be like, okay, yeah, it not that bad. I mean, that wouldn't that wouldn't be my argument, but a lot of people. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah, what's especially weird about it is, despite all that footage we have of what happened in front of the move house, they blocked access to reporters and cameras in the alley behind the house. And that's where Mm. they were shooting at move members fleeing the house. Exactly. So then they could do it and be like, do you see us on camera shooting at anyone? Of course we didn't do that. So that's the one time they cared about the camera placement. Yep. That's the one time the The bomb, you can see us drop a bomb, but not shoot people. That's too much. (laughs) They're like, come on. There's so much garbage back here. Please let us clean up first. No cameras. No cameras. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, there's a really great moment because they they're cutting back and forth to this uh, inquiry panel that's like looking into this and interviewing the people that were involved. And there's this uh, black black preacher, uh, minister or something like priest. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he's talking to these cops who are accused of shooting at people. And he's like, I I can't fathom in my mind what would make people run back into a burning house after getting out. And one of these cops is like, they're move members. You're never going to under. And he's like, whoa, 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 no, they're people. I knew these people and they are not the kind of people who would run back into a burning house. So the police were shooting at these people when they were trying to flee. The best part. I like how he worded it. He said it so blatantly without having to say it. And their, their responses said everything like, you know what? I got my answer. Yeah, they it was so it was perfectly worded, and they fell right into the trap. Like, yeah, you, yeah, you got us. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. also I didn't put it in the notes. We talked about it briefly before we started recording, but there's one cop in this whole thing. Well, I mean, his partner seemed cool too, but there's this one cop who, when Birdie Africa escapes, when Birdie gets out, he falls off a ledge and his is hit. Yeah, this cop's partner is like, you know that thing where someone falls so hard you feel it? And like, he wasn't joking. He was like, I felt the thud in my chest. And his partner is like, so yeah, obviously I wanted to go get this kid and get him out of harm's way. And some other cop comes up and goes, I think it's a trick. Look at how the woman fell. And they ask him in this panel why he said that. And he was like, just a hunch. It's like, motherfucker. That's that's so fucked. So eventually this other cop ignores him and just runs up and grabs the kid and gets him out of harm's way. And they actually thank him during this inquiry panel. Like they're like, you are the one cop that did your job according to how the job is supposed to be done. When you're talking to monsters and there's one, one there who's not a monster, you got to let them know, Hey, thanks for not being a monster with the other monsters. Yeah. And it's like, we know that's a thing. Like, here's the thing. I think a lot of cops are very bad, but there are also plenty of stories of cops trying to turn in fellow cops for being corrupt and they just get punished for it. And this guy is no different after the, the panel thanked him very unfortunate racial slurs written on his locker at work. And he eventually had to quit the force because he had PTSD. So the one guy who did his job is also the one cop who came away from this with any sort of repercussions or ramifications in his life. Cause no one gets arrested for any of this. No one's ever charged. Right. They just bombed a fucking house. That guy wanted to help because, like, when he's, yeah, he worked with monsters, but it seemed like at that one point he made a decision, like, I think I want my soul. Yeah. I should help this kid. <laughs> yeah. Like, he might have even been a racist fuck stick, but he's like, I'm not that racist. It's a child. Yeah. yeah. Enough's enough. He's like, I can't. He's like, we'll meet again when he's in his 20s. I'll beat him then. Yeah. Let him enjoy his youth. Oh, this fucking story. Yeah. It's a lot. And there's one more crazy detail to go because the police and the fire department decided to let this fire burn as a tactical weapon. They were unable to control the fire. So 61 houses on that block also burned down, which is there's in the let the fire burn documentary. There are interviews with people on the street who are like, my fucking house is going to burn down. That makes it sad because they showed them, they showed the citizens before they left, and then they showed them when they came back after everything was ruined. 
So they left and like, I guess they'll get them out. You come back like, ah, now we blew, we blew the whole bop up. Yeah. Just, and that, that literally, that they burned yeah. down the entire block serving an arrest warrant on four people. That is That's, bonkers. It's such a fucking dark moment in yeah. history. And it really is not talked about much at all. Like, I feel like once people start throwing around the word cult, people kind of care less because they think they have in their mind. And I think there is a thing in your mind that when you hear the word cult, like you think of a few specific, very unsavory things. This group just had some weird beliefs. They weren't abusing their members. And even if you still don't drop a bomb on them and burn down 61 other homes. Along with, and just no regards for children whatsoever. Yeah. Like there were so many kids in there. Yeah, and when it was all said and done, uh, six adults died, five children were killed. That is a total of seven more people than the police were there to even arrest. And uh, the aftermath, also not great. Ramona Africa, who was the only adult survivor, ends up getting convicted on riot charges and goes to prison for seven years. That's bullshit. But in 1996... She and relatives of two MOVE members who were killed in the bombing sued the city and won a total of $1.5 million in a civil suit judgment. The surrounding neighborhood, though, never recovered. The city did rebuild the homes they destroyed, but if you can believe it, they did such a shitty job rebuilding these homes, all of them were condemned in 2000. You think shitly built on purpose, maybe? Or just coincidence? The people who built the homes actually went to jail for how they uh, mishandled the funds to build those homes. Wow. And they didn't do that right. They did finally pay those families $150,000 each for their home. But again, it destroyed a neighborhood of middle-class black people, homeowners. And now community. Yeah. Now that like the neighborhood still exists, but it obviously led to a huge exodus of people. Yeah. So that's a bummer. And Over the years, there have been a few different panels that are all like, yeah, the police were completely wrong in their actions. And it's like those cops are still alive. Like, is there a statute of limitations on murdering children? I don't think there is. It it shouldn't. Yeah, let's let's go get those guys. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I don't think anyone would be mad if 36 years later we were like, yeah, they should be in prison, huh? Like, that would be a positive step for this country. But it would. It's probably not going to happen. In November 2020, a full 35 years after the bombing, the Philadelphia City Council formally apologized. No rush. Take your time. Think about it. They didn't even apologize in 96 when they gave them $1.5 million. Like, just write sorry in the memo on the check, at least. You know, you're right. And they rebuilt the houses. They didn't say it then. Yeah. Hey, sorry we burned your house to the ground. Here's a shittier one. It's crazy. And uh, yeah, they also, in that formal apology, they call for an annual day of remembrance on May 13th. And hey, that's today as we are recording this. But I kind of get the feeling that apology was finally issued because they knew they had another scandal coming down the pike. And uh, that is in April 2021, officials at two Ivy League universities acknowledged that anthropologists had been passing the bones of a young move bombing victim between them for the last 36 years. The bones were also featured in an online course video called Real Bones, Adventures in Forensic Anthropology, taught by a University of Pennsylvania professor and offered by Princeton. Goddamn. This sounds like this sounds like the sequel to Move, but now they went extreme. <laughs> yeah, this this would be like the third the like the part three where you're like, all right, this is right. getting silly. Bones, what are they? Uh, exactly. Are move members haunting this college? And here's the thing: I hope so. Right. I hope that place is haunted <laughs> as fuck. Uh, I hope the Ghost Adventures team shows up to look into it because that's going to be annoying for everybody. It's going to be this. It's going to be the site of Tales from the Hood Four. <laughs> Tales from Ooh. the Hood Three is so good. <laughs> I don't. I feel like everyone I tell to watch it, they're like, "Yeah, I will." Fucking watch Tales from the Hood 3. Watch it, people. So good. This is a quote from Mike Africa Jr., who was a 
six-year-old move member at the time the bombing happened. And this quote is in regards to the news that came out about the bones in April of 2021. It's like this never ends. And no matter how much time passes and you hope that things can get to a place where you can begin to heal some, it's right back up in your face. I haven't cried this many consecutive days since 1985. And that sucks. We're not not done with the crazy details of this bones thing because it eventually came out that workers at Penn Museum knew for years that the bones of move victims were there. But museum director Christopher Woods was only notified about that because there was another scandal involving bones and in that case the university of pennsylvania for decades was in possession of hundreds of skulls including those of enslaved people that had been collected by a 19th century physician whose research was used to justify white supremacist views so basically the director of this museum comes to his staff and is like do we really have these fucking skulls and they're like wait if you think those bones are racist let's show you what we got in the back room you ever hear the move bombing? And he's like, no, I haven't. What's that? It's like the guy, remember the crazy Nazi guy from falling down? <laughs> yes. It's like, <laughs> like, it's like an underground slave bone trade. Like, what is this? <laughs> yeah. And it's some crazy shit. Did you know there's websites where you can buy human bones? Is it in India? No. Well, I, this came up on pretty scary this week. And, uh, because I, Oh, we were wondering where someone got a skull that they had and <laughs> that they had. I, did, I said that on accident. <laughs> yeah, a skull nice. that they had. And uh, yeah, there is a <laughs> website called boneroom.com and Sliceberg, so they sell human bones. Authentic. Yes. They, I guess a typical, a certificate of authenticity. They, uh, they, they specialize <laughs> in uh, human bones. It says there's also one called skulls unlimited. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. I love this. Do they are they organized by size and I guess the sex of the person, the color? Is it is it organized like that? I, I, I would just, just because bondage. just because who's going to prove you lied to him? I'd be like, sure. this one's an alien. She had a human <laughs> head shape. Anyway, that's a good yeah. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> so wow. the the Penn Museum has promised to return all of these bones to their respective families if possible. So. In some cases, they can't even identify them. So. Wow. That is the super sad ending to a super duper sad story. The move bombing. Watch both of those documentaries, if nothing else, and find out more about it. It's dark. Wait, I have another question about the bones thing. You said <laughs> I send them to the family? Yeah. If possible. So that means if possible, you're going to send someone. Here's your, your cousin's uh, femur and jawbone. Sorry, that's all we had. Yeah, like, I hope they at least fire off a s- text first. And then like I don't want random bones of family. Like if you don't have the whole skeleton, I'm good. Yeah. Like I don't know. That's my weird. my sister somehow managed to lose my dad's ashes at one point. Oh. She had them and like moved out of an apartment and didn't take anything with her, including my dad. And a woman tracked me down on Facebook and was like, Hey, I got your dad. You want me to mail him to you? And I was like, Yes, thank you. It was fucking wow. weird. Very I mean, weird. it's weird, but good that good that she got did it. Back. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. that's weird. Man. So, yeah. Oh, uh, one more thing. I don't want to just got the hook. This goddamn Mayor Good. Did you see his epilogue at the end? Yeah, he's fucking reverend now or something like that. You know why? Because he lost his soul. You'll never get it back, you bastard. It's over. Yeah. He pulled a mace. Yeah, he's, he's a lot like, I forget the FBI dude's name have you seen judas and the black messiah not yet how great it's great it's it's great and in real life uh the guy that set them up there was a this is in the epilogue so i'm only spoiling the epilogue for you but uh the real story about that uh there was a documentary that came out about it in like 1980 and the cop who set them up killed himself the night that documentary came out because he basically like he was a black dude and he he set up like the black Panthers and he kind of set up Fred Hampton to be killed. And so when that documentary came out, he was like, this isn't a good look. Yeah. He has nowhere to, you literally have nowhere to go. Yeah. 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 Except you can pull, like you said, pull the mace route, get religious, go find God. I can't saw it at the end. Like when they go through the, like, really? That's what, that's what he did. That's not going to fix anything. Like, even though this, even though mayor good fucking got religious, no one has to like him. Like, you can still hate this guy. Yeah. 
it was his decision after all to, or he authorized dropping that bomb. There's no way he sleeps at night. Perfect. Like I'm okay. knowing it probably fucks with him. It fucked with him. All the oh, time. Yeah. I bet it yeah. did. It had to. Yeah. He but. should have PTSD also. Otherwise he's a fucking right. psychopath. Yeah. Cause he killed a bunch of kids. So that is our goddamn depressing episode. Um, Sliceberg, do you have anything to plug before we get out of here? Um, actually, yeah, I, I have, well, I had one already, but I had like two interviews with this, um, these pretty cool smoked CBD shops around here. Some, um, get one of these as a part-time job and add some fun things to my, uh, smoking sessions. Very nice. Uh, patreon.com slash unpops and unpops network dot supercast dot tech. We, uh, changed the, the levels around a little bit. So go check them out. See if there's anything you like. You can also, uh, you get these podcasts without ads. If you, uh, subscribe there. Um, I think that's it. Let's get the fuck out of here. Sliceberg. Say goodbye. Goodbye people. Goodbye everybody. We love you. Goodbye.